the faith walk. Hebrews 11, the pathway of faith. I love pathway pictures, and here's one. Uh, I love the adventure of pathway pictures, uh, knowing what's around the, discovering what's around the corner and the adventure of the journey. Uh, I love the idea that uh, when God called Abraham, he set him out on a pathway where he had no idea where God was taking him, but he had to step out from where he was comfortable to get to where God was taking him. And that's what it involves to follow God. You've got to leave where you're comfortable to pursue the journey with God. And guess who gets to decide where the road leads? Not me, not you, God does. And sometimes that's really uncomfortable and it really stretches us. But what I want you to understand is that you'll never get to where God wants you to be if you insist on staying where you are. Think about what that means for your personal life. Think about what that means for your church. Are we sometimes uncomfortable with where God is leading us? You bet we are. Pastors and elders too. But the most important thing we have to do is to say, God, you're the leader. What's the next step? And then to take that next step that God shows us. It doesn't matter whether we're comfortable or uncomfortable. What matters is God's call, his direction, following him. Join me in prayer, if you will, please. Father, as we open your word today, looking into the life of Sarah and Abraham, we pray that you would speak to us about our own journey of faith. Uh, teach us from your word. Help us to know how to walk with you by faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. The scripture also says that we are saved through faith. We are saved by God's grace, which we make our own through faith. Important stuff. Faith. The scripture tells us it's powerful. Faith in God changes our destiny from hell to heaven. Faith lets us taste the impossible in our own life. Faith recruits the power of Almighty God to work in our ordinary everyday lives in such a way that we can actually live way beyond our capacity, way beyond human possibilities. Marvelous stuff, faith. But what is faith? Unfortunately, to some, faith is just talk, just a bunch of words. It's a set of beliefs we say we agree with, something that just sits there until we find ourselves in trouble, something to fall back on when all else fails. But I want to challenge your thinking. That's not the Bible kind of faith. Biblical faith changes lives and it's powerful it's so powerful that it can take a woman or man who's had nothing but failure in their life and turn them into god's heroes it can turn tragedy into triumph it can turn misery into miracle even a person who has ignored god and failed god for years faith can develop them into a man or woman of god i'm talking about biblical faith active faith powerful faith the kind of faith that trusts God enough to let him rule and manage and direct your life. Let me show you what I mean. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. 
And in this chapter are listed for us the heroes of faith. There are two women mentioned here in this chapter, and their stories are just powerful. Let's look at one of them, Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Now, Hebrews 11.11 is a difficult text. This is one of those very few scripture passages where translators disagree. If you have the New American Standard or the English Standard Version or the New King James Version, Hebrews 11.11 11 is all about Sarah's faith. Several other translations, the Revised Standard, the NIV, first edition, basically translated the verse so that it's about Abraham's faith. I don't want to get you uh, confused today or into difficult struggles with the Greek language, uh, the difference between the dative and the nominative case, but let me just tell you that I believe the best translation would speak about both Abraham and Sarah's faith. Perhaps the best translation probably goes like this. By faith, Abraham and Sarah, who were well past childbearing, were enabled to produce a child because they considered him faithful who had made the promise. Sarah also is one of the great heroes of faith, listed here along, alongside Abraham and all these great heroes from the Old Testament the hall of God's uh, heroes of faith. Hebrews 11, the honor roll of saints. And Sarah is here not because she walked with God every step of her life. She's here not because she always lived for God. She's here because like every other great hero of faith, after years of failure, she came to the place of letting go of her life, releasing control and trusting God to rule and lead and direct her life. Like you and me, she was full of frailties and failures, but powerful changes took place in her life when she let God be boss of her life. And that's what faith is all about. As I've said often in these past couple of weeks, faith in God is giving God your life, giving God the right to be master and Lord of where your life is headed. That's faith. Trusting God with the car keys of your life, sliding over to let him behind the steering wheel of your life, letting other priorities fall away and focusing on him and letting God tell you how to do life. Sarah didn't start out there, but in a special meeting with God, we'll see next time I preach, that's where she ended up. God took a woman of failure and created a woman of faith. Let's talk about Sarah this morning. What do we know about Sarah? Genesis tells us that she was a powerfully beautiful woman. If ever a woman had physical beauty, it was Sarah. If ever a woman's physical beauty was a hardship to bear, Sarah had it. She was so ravishingly beautiful that at 60 or 70 years of age, men could not keep their eyes off of her. Look back in Genesis 12, 10. Now there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. 
And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now, Genesis 20 tells us that this was not completely dishonest. In fact, Sarah was Abraham's half-sister. And apparently in that day, it was not at all unusual for a man to marry his half-sister. So in a strange way, it was sort of a half-truth. Now, let me tell you, that's not the way of faith. A half-truth is really a whole lie. A lot of us know what it's like to find ourselves in a tight situation. And in desperation, we know we're trying to sin our way out of trouble. And we know God won't bless it. It's not his way. Chances are we're making matters worse, but we're desperate. And in desperation or when we want something, it's easy to rationalize disobeying God, isn't it? A half-truth is a whole lie. Abraham, this man of faith, in order to save his own skin, was willing to sacrifice his marriage, sacrifice his wife's honor, sacrifice their holiness to save his own neck. And Sarah was wrong to go along with it. At this point in their lives, they were not heroes of faith. Not any more heroes of faith than the worst among us. How much more a woman of God Sarah would have been if she had reminded Abraham of his calling. If she had said, how can I sin against the Lord by telling this lie for you? But she too was caught up in something. I don't know if it was fear or vanity or her head was turned at the thought of living in the palace. But she bought it. Look at verse 14. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into the palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. So for a while, Abraham thought this was going well, but not for long. Read on and notice how powerfully God insists on righteousness with his vehicle. He insists that we do life his way. Verse 7, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases. This is 17. The Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And that was one narrow escape. Abraham gets away barely with his life, kicked out of Egypt. Sarah uh, narrowly escapes getting involved in uh, adultery. What a mess. But a lesson learned, right? Well, maybe not. Look over to Genesis chapter 20. Now Abraham moved on from there to the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. 
For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, said for, sent for Sarah to take her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you're as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She's a married woman. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me in my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. Here's a man who doesn't even know God instructing a man who's supposed to know how to walk with God, how it should be done. That's amazing. Verse 10, and Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love for me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. How in the world can this couple be heroes of faith, people of God? How in the world can God still use people and, and bless people like this. I mean, really, to make that stupid mistake once is one thing, but to make it again? Are these heroes of faith? Why, they're no better than us, maybe even worse. Let me give you one more picture of Sarah this morning. Genesis chapter 16. We saw it a couple of weeks back, but let's look at it again. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she said, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to do what Sarah had said. So Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. We studied this a couple of weeks back. And to us, it might sound strange, but how much have we heard in recent years about the pain of childlessness and the lengths that people will go to, even today, to bear a child through almost any means. And even more helpful is to know that what Sarah suggests here was common for that day. The Code of Hammurabi, Hammurabi, the law in their home country, made specific allowance for precisely this. Sarah and Abraham are taking their clues how to live from their culture. This is what a childless couple did in that world when they were childless. Sarah was getting old. Abraham had no heir. They'd heard God's promise of a son, but apparently God needed a little help. This seemed like a good way. It was the world's way, but it wasn't God's way. 
And again, it just won't work. Trying to sin our way into happiness or to sin our way out of trouble, it may be the world's way, might be culturally acceptable, but if it's not God's way, pain is ahead. And the trouble started just as soon as Hagar found out she was pregnant. And it got worse when Ishmael was born. Sarah regretted it for the rest of her life. And the Middle East is still in conflict. Sometimes at war today, the son to be born later, Isaac, the miracle child, he, even he would suffer. And this was not God's way. This was not a pathway of faith. No faith. Faith is committing yourself to the Lord, letting him lead, doing life his way. Now, next time, we're going to look at Sarah's transformation into a woman of faith. We'll see the reason for the happiness and joy that came into her life. It was such a transformation that God changed her name. But I don't want to leave these three dark chapters in her life without noticing some important spiritual principles. Principles of how to walk with God. Principles we can apply both to how to do it wrong and how to do it right. You might want to write these down. They're well worth the price of admission. First, the negative principles. I'll just list them. Remember, a half-truth is a whole lie. The truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. That's the way the phrase goes. Abraham and Sarah had nothing but trouble with half-truths and until they came clean. They lied their way out of the blessing of God. Years of pain, deep trouble from half-truths. Number two, nothing works quite so poorly as trying to sin your way out of trouble or trying to sin your way into happiness. If you don't get anything else today, get that one clearly. Nothing works quite so poorly as trying to sin your way out of trouble or trying to sin your way into happiness. Three, Expediency often causes us to forget spiritual lessons hard-earned. Abraham and Sarah were in trouble the first time with that he's only my brother routine. How could they forget? But when they were in trouble or when it's the convenient thing, we can forget all we've learned about walking with God. Nothing is so humiliating is having to learn the same lesson again, is it? And if you look carefully, Abraham and Sarah were in twice the trouble the second time around. How easily we forget what God has taught us, even when it's learned through pain. Here's number four. I'm also very interested to notice how easy it is for a husband and wife to damage each other's walk with God. In the Christian home, we operate as one. Did you notice Abraham twice in this story dragged his wife into sin, made both of them miserable? 
The other incident with Hagar, Sarah dragged Abraham right out of God's blessing. Well, let me tell you the other side of it. We also have marvelous power to affect one another's walk with God positively, and the whole family is blessed. Let's add to that a number five, will you? And star this and circle it. It's worth the price of admission. Spiritual drifting is spiritually dangerous. Some of us just kind of aimlessly drift through life, reacting to life rather than intentionally pursuing God. We lose focus and easily lose direction. We don't ask God for guidance. We just live trusting in God's grace to catch us when we fall. Well, God will catch you. His patience and love and grace are just amazing. But how much better it would be to get your direction and walk intentionally with God rather than to have to find your way back. You'll avoid a whole lot of struggle and pain. So let me, let me move you on to the positive applications of this great story. Get this, God's ways are always the best ways. No matter what we might think, God's ways are always the best ways. Frequently, like Abraham and Sarah, we think we can improve on God's plan, on God's timing, on God's choices, but we can't. We sometimes think that our life would be a whole lot happier if we could just give God the instructions, if we could have it our way, if we were boss. But listen, how much do you know about the future? How well are you able to coordinate the affairs of the world around us? We're experiencing some of how helpless we are in terms of some of the affairs of our world these days. And do you always choose what's best or do we sometimes choose what's just good enough? We're finite created creatures and our creator never intended for us to do life without his guidance, without his better ideas. The more I study God's word, the more people I know, the more I watch what happens in my own life, the more I know I was never meant to be boss of my life. I was never meant to sit on the throne of my heart. I was never meant to set the plan of my fate. Like Abraham and Sarah, when life is on in my own hands, I mess it up royally. That's why his name is Lord and mine is not. His way is best and voluntarily letting him rule my life, that's where happiness and blessing is found. The second positive application, one of the most important prayers of your heart needs to be that God would keep us honest with ourselves and honest with him. You know, I think Abraham and Sarah really talked themselves into trouble. I think they rationalized that God needed a helping hand. They were going to help God out. And I can con myself so easily. I can convince myself that sin is right. I can con myself that what I'm doing is right and good when it's straight out of hell. God, make me level with myself. Make me honest. 
honest with me and honest with you, God. And then number three, I'm profoundly amazed at the grace of God. It's amazing. I've had people tell me that you don't see God's grace in the Old Testament. Really? <laughs> I find it on almost every page. Jesus is the full flowering of God's grace, but aren't you amazed that God would take a man like Abraham and a woman like Sarah to do anything at all with them? God's grace is amazing. If all we had was their story, of, of their story was what we've seen today, they would be in the hall of failure. But here they are in Hebrews 11, God's hall of faith, the honor roll of faith. How did Sarah get there? Sarah came to the place in an interesting confrontation with God that we'll see next time where she recognized that living life her own way only brought failure and frustration and pain. Her way fell far short of even her own hopes and dreams. God got a hold of her life. And in faith, she committed her life to God, believing that God could do something great with a life that had been miserable failure. Star this, number four. The faith walk is an intentional walk. Intentional. You need to decide to be on the journey and let God lead you. It's not drifting. It's staying close and walking close to Jesus, listening for his voice, taking your clues from him. Do you think perhaps if Abraham had prayed about that, uh, say you're my sister thing, God might have given him some better direction? Do you think Sarah might have asked God what he thought about that, take my handmade deal just drifting is dangerous walking purposefully and intentionally staying close to God is where we need to be and listen I wonder about you today how about you maybe you feel like Sarah to this point your life has been run your own way and it just doesn't quite make it you've got this gnawing intuition that God to, could do great things with your life. And there's kind of this inner instinct that God has great plans for you. And there's this yearning to know what God's plans are. Let me say, like I said it last Sunday, you'll never know the awesome plans God has for you till you're willing to lay down the rebellion of trying to live life your own way, lay it down and give it to the Lord. I was just thinking the other day, way back to 1977, when I spent a, a wonderful week at Mink Lake Camp up on the Gunflint Trail. Uh, I had the privilege of being camp pastor for a week of high school campers. Mink Lake was a Christian adventure camp, and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life, hiking and canoeing and rock climbing those 200-foot cliffs out on Palisade Head Lake Superior. Yes, with ropes and safety gear, but the center of our week was this very important question, who owns you? And we took that theme from Romans where it says, we are slaves either of sin, which leads to death, 
or slaves of righteousness, which leads to life. And who owns you? That question became kind of the watchword that week. We talked about the fact that Lord means boss, that he's the only one with wisdom and right and power to run our lives. At the end of that week, one sweet young lady came to me and said, Pastor Steve, I've never heard the Christian life put quite like that before. And you know, before I came to Mink Lake, I owned me. But I want the adventure God has for me. I want to be on the pathway of his lordship. And I've made a decision this week to give me up to Jesus. And I now know I can trust him to lead my life. I kept correspondence with that young lady for about a year, and every time I would write to her, I would scribble at the bottom the question, who owns you? And when she'd write back telling me the sweet things Christ was doing in her life, at the bottom of her letter, she would write these words, Jesus owns me. It's great. Who owns you? She's married now to a pastor friend of mine, and Occasionally, I get to meet with she and her husband and uh, hear her tell about the change that God made in her life when she gave it up in faith to the Lord who is well worth serving. Pray with me, will you please? Lord, we call you Lord. We also claim that you're master and we want those words to be intentional and with meaning in our life god we confess to you that it's far too easy for us to run our own life our own way and what we need what we really need is for you to be the lord and master the driver in the driver's seat of our life and so god today the best I know how. I want to ask you to be my Lord, full Lord, the boss and director of my life. I pray for my sisters and brothers who are watching this video, who are asking themselves this question, who really owns me? And I pray that they would make that decision today to let you be master and Lord of their life and that they would experience the full blessing that's ahead for those who walk with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We pray this all in your sweet name.